Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. This is our Q&A series where I answer your questions regarding the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. Let's get started. In this question, which was emailed to us at james at bankingwithlife.com. The question is, in the last couple of chapters of BYOB, Nelson talks about using IBC for building intergenerational wealth. That aspect is very appealing to us. How would we implement it for our children? Um, so that is uh, in part four, page 71. An even distribution of age classes. Frankly, it's one of my very personal favorite uh, parts of the book, even distribution of age classes. And and you do it when as soon as you can wrap your mind around paying a premium for your children or on your children's policies. And there are rules or guidelines that you have to follow within the insurance industry. Such as, say, mom has a million in coverage, face amount total, uh, in force from all sources, excluding group terms, including military coverage. So mom has a million, dad has a million. Your children can have 500,000 of face amount, total in, total face amount from all sources, um, which is 50%. And then you, kind of work backwards from there. How much premium can I pay without exceeding that limit? Um, and then you can go down from there. Okay, But it has to, of course, make sense for you, your family, and your cash flows. But the sooner you start a policy, the better off you are. And if you think about it, the policies on your children will be the most efficient policies that you're likely to own. Because an uh, the older a policy is, the more efficient it is, okay? So we can then talk about 50-year timelines, right? I mean, I'm not going to be here. You, 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 you may or may not be here depending on your age, uh, but your children should be. So when you look out into the future 50 years, 60 years into the future on a child's policy, you almost don't believe the numbers. So you can't put as much premium – into a child's policy as you could in, in an adult's policy, but they're beautiful policies and you should start them as soon as you can wrap your mind around paying a premium on your children. Okay. It gives them a solid financial foundation. It, it gives them discipline or it gives you a way to convey all of the benefits and the power of life insurance and this wonderful idea of becoming your own banker. They build capital. And look, all of your children, depending on how old they are, you know, if we just start as a young child, um, you know, they, they might need braces or orthodontic work. You know, they might go to maybe homeschooled and you have that cost of uh, materials and things. They may go to a private school or or what have you. There's a cost to that. You know, they're going to turn 16 and they're going to want a car, right? Then they're going to go off to college. All of that costs a lot of money. 
Um, you know, when they come home from college, if you have a hairy legged boy, he's probably in love with some girl. Right. And rightly so. You have a beautiful young daughter. She's going to come home and be in love with some hairy legged boy. And then, you know, weddings. Right. Do you know how much a wedding costs today? Yeah. Just compound that out into the future. You know, and then after they get married, they're going to want a down payment. Oh, wait, did I jump over? They're both driving cars. You know, then you got the wedding and you've got the house, the down payment of the house and all of the things that are financed just going through life. Right. And then, you know, ultimately they're going to have children. Oh, wait a minute. Your grandchildren. So um, you can't do it quick enough. It is should be a part of a natural expansion of anyone's banking system. But you put them through underwriting is what you do. You determine the premium amount. Right. That's makes sense for you and your family and put your hand to the plow and don't look back. So I hope that helps. Great question. In this question, what dollar amount can I borrow up to before triggering a taxable event? <clears throat> okay, so number one, loans are generally not taxable, right? Because it's a loan. So if you go to the bank and borrow money for your car, or your home, or whatever you borrow money for, the bank doesn't send you a 1099 because it is not income. It is loan proceeds, right? Now, if you have your money in a savings account, they'll send you a 1099 on that fractional percent that you earn. So loans are not taxable unless you have a modified endowment contract, Okay. If you have a modified endowment contract, then loans above your basis are taxable. Your basis is your total premium that you paid into a life insurance policy. So generally, loans are not taxable. And, um, and I'm not giving tax advice, but in generally all circumstances, when it comes to life insurance policy loans, the loan is taxable if you have a modified endowment contract. Okay. Um, good question. This question, what is the time frame to pay back the funds, the loan? And what happens if I decide not to want to pay myself back? Assume the perspective, you know, surrender, death benefit totals decrease. <clears throat> okay, if you have an outstanding loan and you graduate, the death benefit is reduced by the outstanding loan. It's paid back first, and rightly so. It's 100% collateralized, right? So if I have an outstanding loan, I graduate, the loan is paid back, and then the net death benefit is paid income tax-free to my heirs, my beneficiaries, Um now, if you don't want to be an honest banker and you don't want to repay your loans, you know, that's uh, not practicing the infinite banking concept because that's one of the four fundamentals that Nelson, you know, set out before he graduated. Number one, think long range. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize, i.e. pay a premium. And number three is be an honest banker. You know, don't steal the peas. Okay. So... You're stealing the peas. You're stealing from yourself or future generations if you don't repay a loan. And let me also add that, look, you do not get rich by making loans, okay? 
And I know there's a ton of, you know, beautiful presentations that you can collateralize all of your assets. And sure, the owner can do whatever they want with their private property, right? But if you collateralize a life insurance policy, i.e. pay a premium and you're, you're borrowing the maximum amount or just a lot against the policy and you're not going to repay that, the loan is going to compound against you, right? There's an interest rate assigned to the loan. It's a loan interest rate. So it's just not good thinking. And if you are not going to repay a loan, this concept may not be for you. Now, what actually happens? Okay, the longer that loan compounds, the greater it becomes. And if it out compounds the cash value, the policy lapses, right? Before it lapses, of course, you're going to have a choice to, you know, pay the premium, um, increased premium, you're going to have to pay some interest rate on that loan or make partial loan repayments. And, and just let me, I can't convey this strong enough. The thinking that you cannot repay your loans is not good. It's not good. It's going to be followed shortly before or after the idea that premiums are bad too, right? If loan repayments are bad, why am I even paying? Premium payments are not good either. So that kind of thinking, you're going to reduce your premium payments and if and then you're not going to make loan repayments. The end result of that is not good. It will lapse. Now, when a policy lapses in the future, if you've paid in $100,000 in premium, i.e. your basis, and it's grown and you, you're borrowing all of the cash value it, it, that you can and you're not repaying the loans, but the policy, you're still paying premiums in my example here, you're still paying premiums. So the cash values are still increasing. The death benefit is still increasing. Whenever, if that loan out compounds the cash value and you don't do anything about that, i.e. increase your premiums or if you can even increase your premiums, right? By that time, you probably can't. Um, if you don't at least pay the interest or reduce the loan, when that policy lapses, it is a taxable event in that year. All right. Now, let me walk through this. I paid in $100,000 over whatever time period you want to look at. I have $150,000 in cash value that I can borrow against. And let's say that, that I borrow $140,000 and I'm not paying premiums, I'm not paying interest, I'm not being an honest banker, and that policy lapses, there's a $40,000 taxable event in that year. All right. Now, uh, that might not sound too bad, but that's just additional income to whatever other income you might have in that future unknown year. And so when you see these illustrations that, that like you pay the premium, you get all the high cash value, you get the hundred percent leverage, you know, from the life insurance policy to go buy quote unquote cash flowing, appreciating assets, which is a beautiful concept, but you still have to be an honest banker to make that successful, right? You see all these illustrations with these big outstanding loans and big cash values, um, and, you know, some of those illustrations that I've seen out there, and I haven't seen them all, I don't even want to see them all. But when you have a seven or $800,000 taxable event in a given year, yeah, that's a problem. Then what tax bracket are you going to be in when the policy lapses anyway? You don't even know what year the policy would lapse, and you don't know what the tax bracket is. Not the infinite banking concept. Not, it is not the infinite banking concept. Now, <clears throat> let me add to that. If I get into retirement, 
you know, and I want to supplement my income. And I know this was a longer answer to your question, but maybe if I'm 70, um, I'm not going to repay a loan. I have to manage that outstanding loan to prevent the the possibility of a lapse. You know, I may have to, you know, make loan repayments. So if I get into retirement and I start making loans against the cash value, I can do a premium offset. I can do a reduced paid up. There's many things that can be done, but we're talking about income from the life insurance policy. If I'm taking loans every year, the loan starts at zero. If I take 25,000 a year in a loan every year, so I'm increasing the loan and the loan is compounding. If that loan out compounds the cash value and it, it will, that will cause a lapse if you don't do anything, i.e. pay a loan repayment, um, then that's a taxable event. Now, maybe I'm 80 years old and I don't want to manage a loan. It is okay to make withdrawals from a life insurance policy. You can withdraw up to your basis, total premium paid, right, and then switch to loans after that. Or you can leave it on withdrawal. Once you pass your basis, if I paid 100000 in, I've taken 100000 in income out through withdrawals, which are not taxable because it's a return of basis, and then I make one more withdrawal. That withdrawal above my basis is taxed at ordinary income in the year of receipt. I know that was a long answer to a very good question, um, but you, the individual, the policy owner, if you own a life insurance policy and you're practicing this concept of becoming your own banker, then you should be thoroughly knowledgeable about Nelson's work, Becoming Your Own Banker, his first book, and then Building a Warehouse of Wealth, the second book. And then I also like a great deal how privatized banking really works. Um but in addition to that, not that you have to be a life insurance expert, but you need to understand the mechanics of your life insurance policy, the provisions of that life insurance policy, which is a contract, and how your actions or what are the results of your actions to that policy, whether you're in the early years of paying a premium or you're in the latter years of taking loans or withdrawals for income. Okay, very good question. The general question is, what is the most we can pay in premium? It sounds to me like I'm limited by my earned income and my maximum insurability or both. And the question is, my understanding correct? Yes, your understanding is correct. So the life insurance companies, you know, the, look, these are financial products, right? And, and the life insurance is one of the most uh, heavily regulated industries in North America. So everything that's done when you purchase a life insurance policy, you go through underwriting, it must be suitable, right? And then the underwriters have their criteria. You know, you have to be healthy. You know, uh, they're, 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 they don't want adverse selection against the insurance company. So you have to qualify right, as you go through underwriting physically, but it also has to be suitable financially. So if you earn $100,000 in income, the life insurance companies generally don't want to see more than 20 or 25% of your income allocated to premium. First limit. Second limit, depending on your age, there's an insurability factor, right? Because um, these life insurance companies use different calculations or theories or methodologies to price life insurance and underwrite it. And if we just look at uh, income replacement, uh, we can look at human life value or um, 
economic life value. Look, if I earn $100,000 and I'm 20 years of age, I can generally buy 25 to 30 times that amount in total face amount from all sources. Okay, so if I earn $100,000 and I'm 25, then the factor would be 25 to 30. Let's say it's 30. 100,000 times 30, $3 million is my insurability. Uh, so this idea that we can be over insured, I mean, it can happen, but it didn't happen uh, without effort. Okay, you cannot be overinsured at underwriting. All right, so if you're 40 and you earn $100,000 a year, the income factor may be 20. It's either 20 or 25. Or, yeah, so $100,000 at age Let's say age 45, I earn $100,000. The income factor is 20. Then my insurability is $2 million from all sources, not including term, group term, group term, or military term. It does include if you have a you know, term policy from years gone by, it's still enforced, it's included. That Okay, so if my insurability is $2 million and I have a half a million dollar term that I bought years ago or yesterday – then that reduces my insurability or it doesn't reduce my insurability, but that's counted against me or counted part as part of my total insurability, right? So if I go buy another policy, the maximum they're going to consider in my example is 1.5 million, but it is both. So the first limit is a percentage of your income. The second limit is your maximum insurability. Very good question. It is both. These are smart people asking these questions, and I appreciate you listening. Statement, while it's a terrible time to buy a car right now, our family needs one. We are a one-car family that has a lot of miles on it, starting to have issues, so we're looking to get another one. My question is, based on the cash values of our policies, does it make any difference which policy we prioritize taking a loan? The answer is no. If you're married... It's all your money, Jaws money, Jaws capital. If you have one policy or 10, it's all y'all's money. So it becomes a personal preference and maybe how you like to manage your cash flows. It does not matter. Now, if you have five policies or if you have a policy that is with a direct recognition company that reduces your dividend when there's an outstanding loan and you own another policy that is a non-direct recognition, you know, you, you may want to borrow against the one that's a non-direct recognition. At the end of the day, though, you know, we shouldn't be swallowing camels while we're straining gnats. And I'm not saying that you're doing that, but it's all of your money. You use and integrate your policies into your family's cash flows as you see best. Okay. And then you'll also learn by doing that. The more you do that, the more you'll learn and you'll, your preference will refine. So another great question. This is really another question from the same individual. Okay. So we're likely to buy a car in the next month or so. While we don't have the car picked out yet, does it make sense to take a loan at the top of our budget and then just um, repay some of the money that we didn't spend? At, you know, at the end of buying a car, we find the car, we make the purchase, and we spent less than we anticipated. Yes. Look, these your your brick and mortar bank, my brick and mortar bank. They have a drive through window. They have tellers. You can walk into the lobby and make a withdrawal. 
right? The life insurance companies are life insurance companies. I know we're practicing the infinite banking concept, but they don't, they do not have tellers. They do not have drive through windows. The loan request, either online or on in paper, on paper is a service form. All right. So yes, if, you know, I might find the deal of the deal next tomorrow, but it might take me two weeks. Whenever I know I'm going to make a purchase, you get the loan. Get as much, you're exactly right, at the top of your budget. The most you're going to spend, go get that amount. All right. Then go do your shopping with confidence. Make your purchase. And if it's less than what you spent, you're just practicing or what you planned, you're just practicing Parkinson's law. That's how you win. You make the purchase and any excess funds, loan proceeds that you have automatically go back and repay the loan. That's exactly how you do. As a matter of fact, um, I financed the truck that I'm driving today and it's out there in the big wide world on how I did that. Um, so. Yes, yes, and yes. Thanks for the question. And this question, you know, I had a question about what to do with some cash until I'm able to, you know, make the next premium payment. And uh, what are your thoughts on I-bonds? And I'm not giving investment advice, but currently with the inflation rate that it is, I think I-bonds are nine, nine and a half percent. It's a great place for short-term liquid money. Um, and the uh, the uh, government has just just Google in I bonds right, but go to the government's website. You can do all of that. As a matter of fact, you can purchase more I bonds. There's a limit to how much any of us can purchase in I bonds. That limit is increased if you do it online as opposed to going to your bank. That's my understanding. So <clears throat> um, look, they're taking your money anyway. So the bank's not paying you any interest. You can't pay a life insurance premium. Um, that's as good a place as any. And if it happens too often, excess capital, no ability to pay a premium, you may consider expanding your system. Okay. <clears throat> and this question, and this question is on... Um, Episode 140 with my friend Paul Horsley says, can you help me get a cash value policy? Yes. Yes, I can. You can call my office, 817-790-0405. And there, there are links in the, in, and I know not everybody watches YouTube. There are some listeners, you know, that maybe not go to get down into the notes, but you can email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. I mean, I am a life insurance agent. All disclosures, you know, are listed throughout the website and throughout this YouTube channel. Um, and yes, as a matter of fact, I personally believe the greatest banking policies in North America come through this office. So thanks for asking. Why do all who promote this say you need 10000 a year into it? Why? Can it be done on a smaller scale for someone who can only do a hundred a month? And the short answer is maybe. You don't have to have ten thousand a year. Um, I'm sure every life insurance agent out there wants to have a million dollar a year premium. I get it. They're beautiful. Um, however, um, it depends on your age. You know, a hundred dollars a month for someone in their twenties is much different than a hundred dollars a month in premium for someone in their 50s or 60s. So the short answer is yes, it can be done. 
Um, no, you don't have to have $10,000 a year. You can start smaller than that, but a hundred dollars a month is, you know, 1200 a year. So it'll be very limited on what you can do with that. But yes, you can start at a much smaller amount than 10,000. But like I said, it depends on your age because at the end of the day, you're buying life insurance. That's what this is, right? Dividend paying life insurance issued by mutual companies. So most of these policies have a minimum premium or a minimum base amount, which causes a minimum premium. And the older you are, the cost of insurance is higher, right? So if you're very old, like if you're my age or you're 59, if you were 59 years of age, $100 a month is not going to cut it. It's not going to be enough. I'm going to have a little old policy and little old power, little old output. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging anyone. You start where you can. You start where you're at and work with a competent, qualified, experienced, knowledgeable agent or investor, or agent or investor, agent or advisor. All right. Because really, that's where the success is. The educated consumer and an educated agent and advisor. But get started. Okay, well, somebody answered that question online. And so that was my answer to your question. Thank you. Oh, here's a couple of comments that are not going to be released because they're an agent. Um, And kind of a not very nice agent, too. But, you know, so that and look, we get calls all the time, emails from agents and and just like if you're an agent, God bless you. Go do the right thing for your client. okay? but be educated. okay? Um, and the reason I don't release these kind of questions, because I don't think they're legitimate. Does it hurt the algorithm on YouTube? I don't know. And I don't care. Um, But here's an agent. It's very typical of agents. You know, it's like, here's a a set timeline, a set premium. You know, the future is unknown, but, you know, you want to put markers on everything. If I set right here and I'm this um, rate class, standard preferred, super preferred, and I want to pay this premium and no more, I'm never going to deviate from it. And I'm never going to deviate from the timeline and then go compare um, illustrations, you know, which illustration better under these certain sets of circumstances and you don't know the future and neither do I you don't know when you'll have to increase a premium or decrease a premium or stop paying premiums and so this idea that you can compare illustration to illustration and just because you have a higher death benefit or you have a higher cash value or you have a higher rate of return on a particular illustration and then you want to go compare that to another illustration's total death benefit, you know, total cash value and calculate an internal rate of return, you are playing games with numbers on a page, okay? So you, sir, are the very, his name's Ryan. Brilliant, great, love it. uh, Are the very agent that I speak sharply about, okay? And so, you know, God bless you. Go do the right thing. And then he asked another question that had very particular perimeters. And uh, it's almost like it is exactly what's being done. The agent or even an individual. I'm not even trying to beat up agents. I'm not trying to beat anyone up. It's all love, peace, and chicken grease. It's like whatever I'm doing, um, then you model the question 
to support or affirm what you're doing. Care less if it's right or wrong or the ramifications of what you're doing, the end result, the potential end result of what you're doing. Just want justification. And it's like, I'm not going to justify what other agents do at all. Okay. Now, if um, this idea of the infinite banking concept interest you, then educate yourself, right? Nelson's first book, Becoming Your Own Banker. That book is on Audible now. You don't even have to buy it and and read, you know, uh, uh, turn the pages, right? You can go on Audible and listen to it. Now, I got to say the the book on Audible does not match the printed book as far as chapters, but you you can get it done. Go listen to Audible. Get the book to my encouragement. And read through the book and listen to Audible. Okay. Um, <clears throat> his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. And then, like I said earlier, the a, a third book that I highly encourage everyone to purchase and read is How Privatized Banking Really Works. Dr. Carlos or Carlos Lara, Dr. Robert Murphy. If you have those books it will help with a solid foundation. In addition to the books, the reading, you should watch Nelson's six and a half hour video series. It's available on our store. It's available at NNI, which is infinitebanking.org. Go to their store, six and a half hour DVD series. If you read those three books, and you watch that series, you will have enough information to intelligently determine whether you want to participate in in the infinite banking concept. If you want to go down the road of becoming your own banker, do not start with life insurance illustrations with the agent down the road. I mean, educate yourself, right? And then while you're at Nelson's site, Nelson Nash Institute, infinitebanking.org, they have a practitioner finder there. Now, I know that that's set up for geographical and in, in a geographical format, right? So you can go find the agent closest to you. Is that the best one for you to work with? I don't know. That's for you to determine. All right, but every state is listed on there. Whatever your state is, you type your state in there and it'll bring up every agent that's a resident of your state that is a recognized practitioner of the infinite banking concept or the Nelson Nash Institute recognized practitioner. And then the bottom list will be all of the agents around the country that are licensed as a non-resident agent that can do business in your state. The same goes for Canada. I mean, there's a little bit different, you know, I think there are different provinces, you know, you have to be licensed. I mean, I'll leave that alone. But Canada, if you're in Canada, go to the Nelson Nash Institute, infinitebanking.org. Right? I mean, I'm Repetition is a mother, correct repetition is a mother learning. Okay, so I'm encouraging you to educate yourself with these basics before you put money into a life insurance policy, okay? All right, that's all the questions I have in front of me today. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like answered, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.